Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs, and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Broadcasting from the Leadership Academy Studios, aka my new basement. Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur. You know, this is the go-to plan for coaches, authors, speakers, and entrepreneurs of all kinds to start, grow, and profit a business that you love. Yes, you can do business and love it at the same time. I'm your host, Matt Browning, and today we are opening up the interview channels. I have an incredible, incredible guest with me today uh, via Zoom, and she has some fascinating stories and lessons for you specifically on leadership, on resiliency, on how to become a better leader, how to lead your team, and how to lead your team through unexpected and hard times. If you are your business, if you're doing something, you're selling something, you make something, uh, you're here who we are here for. So with me today is Joy Cooper. She's a number one best-selling author, a keynote speaker, and operations manager for United Airlines. She has a master's in aeronautics, aeronautics, uh, easy for me to say, and she's a pilot herself. Now, her story was featured on CBS TV. She's been rated, uh, interviewed on all sorts of top-rated podcasts, and she has shared her story of being a lone survivor in a fatal plane crash. It's an incredible story. She was told she'd never walk again, and she proved that she would do even more than that. Uh, Joy, welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur. How are you? I'm great, Matt. How are you doing? Uh, so good. So good. I'm really, really excited to dive into your story. You know, I, I, we've known each other for a little while now. I know your story, but all my friends here don't. Um, when I first met you, I was just blown away because I'd never met someone that has walked through what you've walked through metaphorically and now literally um, and come out the other side. So I, wanna, I don't want to start in, in the traditional sense of the story, but I'd like to talk a little bit about what you're doing now. Um, you are keynote speaking and you're teaching companies, corporations, teams, and groups, really all about resiliency and how to become a more resilient leader. Tell me a bit about how you define resiliency. Why is it important? Where does it show up? Talk to me a bit about resiliency and leadership. Resiliency and leadership um, are really what got me where I'm at right now. So as the bio said, 10 years in operations management for an airline, that's just the generic, basic corporate uh, sign off there for things. But resiliency to me is having that steadfastness, that foundation, that whatever comes at your life and hits you upside the head, you're going to be able to react to and respond to in a way that's helpful for you. And leadership is how you guide yourself, how you guide your team with that resilience through what it is that you're going through, a business, a hardship, even a good time sometimes takes great leadership to be able to maintain that resilience just to really kind of keep you bucked up and ready to go for whatever the situation might come at you. Bucked up and ready to go. I Listen, all of you guys, you need to get bucked up and ready to go as a leader. That's outstanding. Um, so resiliency, you mentioned it's this, the unexpected things are happening. Um, you know, we just wrote a book through the studios here, the Driven to Courage just recently. And we talked all about how to overcome the unexpected, uh, how to deal with the unexpected and come out stronger. And I think you're one of the 
perfect case examples of someone who dealt with something unbelievably unexpected and came out a lot stronger. When you, well, I guess, walk us through as much as you can of that day, because I, I think, um, you know, you're, you're, you're a pilot yourself, but you're not flying the plane and you're up in the Alaskan airspace, small plane. Walk us through a bit of what that day looked like and, and what had happened. That day was probably one of the most beautiful days I've ever been in. Crystal clear morning. I was out at a wilderness property with my best friend and her aunt and uncle. We flew out there about three days before this day. Just gone on a hike up to a waterfall, climbed through the woods, clipping branches and everything as we went. Of course, like true Alaska wilderness sort of a day. Get on the boat, go over the glacier made lake absolutely beautiful. We checked with the weather, did all the normal pilot things, the boring things, pre-flight before we leave, loaded up, uh, got in the front seat. Since I am a pilot, I have a few hours, but I love to fly whenever I can. And her uncle was like, yeah, come sit in the front seat. I'll let you take the controls whenever it's clear and good to go. So I thought, oh, this is great. So I sit up there, didn't of course buckle in because who buckles in? That's that's boring. That's not adventurous. But thankfully, her aunt patted me on the shoulder and said, hey, shoulder straps. So clipped in, we take off. The weather had been forecasted to be perfectly good. Where we were at, it was crystal clear. So we had no idea what we were about to encounter. About 20 minutes into the flight, we hit wildfire smoke. 300 miles to the west of us, it had been a, a wildfire 10,000 acres, I believe, is the last reported amount of this wildfire. Huge, but it hadn't really impacted the area that we were at. Maybe a light haze and that's it. Unfortunately, this time it was completely socked in. Uh, it looked like you stuck your face in a bowl of cream of mushroom soup. That's how much we could see. And we were at 2,500 feet flying with mountaintops over 5,000 feet. The pilot tried to bring it back. He tried everything he could. The alarms were going off, pull up, pull up, terrain, terrain. He's got messages popping up on the iPad. He's trying to clear. We get a radio call from flight traffic in the same exact valley that we're in, trying to answer him. He didn't say how high he was. And again, we can't see. So what are we going to do? <laughs> Hit a plane in the middle of a smoky soup? So we're responding, figured out this guy. Everything is still flying smoothly, though, as chaotic as it was in our minds and hearts, it was smooth air until we hit turbulence. And my door flew open. The violence of the updraft just popped it right open. I reached out and grabbed it and thought, well, we're 20 minutes from Anchorage. I can hold the door closed until we get to Anchorage. That violent turbulence, though, basically jackknifed us right into the mountain and we flew almost straight into it. The pilot thankfully saw it before we hit the mountain, pulled up and we did a loop and ended up hitting that same exact mountain right head on. Uh, the National Guard said it was probably around 80 to 86 miles an hour that we hit that mountain. So I woke up, I don't know how long after, the instruments were still buzzing and whirling and I blinked my eyes and I thought we were back in Anchorage because what else could have happened, right? I'm not expecting disaster. I'm on vacation. I'm having a great time. My best friend and housemate, we were all having an amazing time. Her aunt and uncle had flown that route 20 some years. They owned the property down there. They knew this place like the back of their hand. So the last thing I was expecting to be waking up in the side of a mountain staring at broken glass, dirt, 
twisted metal, but there I was. So I there you were. And, and there I was. There, there's four people total, mm-hmm. right? Including you. And now yes. you went for a beautiful flight and now you find yourself in a heap of wreckage on the side of the mountain. What's going through your head as you, I guess, you're, did you lose consciousness? Are you, are you waking up at this point or were you there the whole time that you know of? What's going through your mind at this point? And what's going through, I guess, your emotions? Are you numb or are you freaked out? What's happening? I, I think I passed out. I don't actually know. I don't know if it's one of those brain scrubbing things when your body goes through trauma that you don't remember. But I do specifically remember waking up, sitting in that plane, the shoulder straps that I had just harnessed 20 minutes ago, just swinging around, like clicking against the metal and going, what happened? Like I said, I thought we were back in Anchorage. I thought we were watching a war movie. Like we were soldiers because it looked like we were in the jungles of Vietnam. There were just dirt and, you know, the twisted metal helped with the the war allegory and brush and shrubs. And so I thought, okay, um, the movie will be over soon. We'll get something to eat. And it wasn't until the ringing started dying down in my ears. And, and there was no Mel Gibson either, of course, because we were soldiers. You got to have Mel Gibson, but he wasn't there. And so I thought, oh, this is real. And my brother and sister in emergency response, paramedics, uh, emergency medicine doctor, and I've gone through all the things. So I'm now slowly move your head. You might've broken it and moving around and going, okay, my head moves. I'm fine. I'm not too dizzy. And then I thought I got to check on everybody else. So I turned and looked behind me and hollered at my friend. No answer. Hollered again, of course, because now I'm like, oh, vey, somebody better wake up. Like I know I was passed out, but it, it's going to have to take some time. So when I hollered back there, there was there was no answer. So I knew I had to get out of the plane, try to get down and get some help. And I just started taking off the things that I could do. I was in very much a uh, operation sort of a mindset. I did not let my emotions get to me. I actually made the mental decision. I could grieve the loss of my friend later. Right now, I need to survive. I need to take the steps to take to survive. So eventually the National Guard showed up, hauled me out of there. And I found out I I broke everything. I broke my back, both arms, both legs, a femur, punctured a lung. I think that's it. Uh, I'm sure there were some other dings and nicks in there somewhere. Something Uh, on your spinal cord, I think you've told me before. Yeah, I broke my back and along with that four spinal cord tears, which led to paralysis. So I was paralyzed from the waist down. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Joy and... And you don't know any of this at this point, but I, I'm really interested in how, first, how did you make the decision, quote unquote, to right rationally look at something? Is this something you've always been able to do? Or is this one of those things that just in the moment you're like, you know what, this is the emergency situation. This is what I've trained for. This is what I've focused on as a leader. So now it was go time. Was that easy for you? Hard for you? I would imagine how many people would just be sobbing in a heap? What advice do you have for someone who might not feel like they could control how they react when they wake up in a situation metaphorically like that, right? Or at work like that, or in an actual uh, emergency situation? A lot of it was pre-training. So working in airlines, we get all sorts of what we call ops, irregular operations that just come up and hit you out of the blue. I had One day I was a a baby airline manager and we had a flight that said lost engine and immediately started spiraling out of the sky. And I'm sitting here going, "Um, I've 
only worked for an airline nine months. I have only been a manager for about two months. And what am I supposed to do? And after having a small, tiny little freak out moment, I started gathering the information, controlling what I could control. I couldn't fly the plane. I had to trust that the pilot was going to fly that plane. I could control information, figuring out from maintenance how we could get it fixed, making sure we provided for our customers, those sorts of things. And so in this situation, sitting in that plane, I said, I can't control the fact that my friend is gone. I can't control that emotion, but I, well, I can control the emotion. I can't control the fact. So right now, what I need to control is how I respond, how I react, and what I do next, and how that's going to best serve me and getting out of this situation safely. So a lot of it was pre-programming from lessons learned of, of previous things, and then a lot of it was also sitting there and saying, okay, what's the small step? What's the next step I need to take in this moment right now? Don't look at the big picture. What do I need to do right now to get to the next step? And that feels like Again, coming back to talking about the resiliency lessons is, I mean, is that a step number one? Okay, when when things happen, you you stop, don't let your emotions run away. This is, I feel like it's really really important because I've been in situations in in business situations, which again, obviously are not life and death. They're not anywhere near what you you're walking through here, but I still feel like you know, a massive contract falls through, or there's an angry uh, client or a vendor drops off the face of the earth and we have a deadline and, and those things happen. Um, and my initial reaction is usually calm. Okay, what are we going to do? But again, I realize not every colleague is like that. Not every owner is like that. And to be honest, I'm, I'm not always like that. Sometimes I, I have a good freak out. Um, so if I find myself freaking out a little bit, what advice do you have to for us to again to take control back if you feel like you've already let it go does that make sense if mm-hmm. you, it's like i wake up and go you know what i'm already three steps too far on this freak out on this reaction and now i recognize it so what do i do about it i always start with myself again like i can control myself and my emotions and realize how that is working in the big world so if i'm thinking okay maybe I'm three steps ahead of myself and I've already had a little breakdown or I've already said something that I kind of wish I would have taken back from a colleague and everything is melting down. A lot of times I will just stop, take a deep breath and then get back to the basics. What needs to be done and how can I communicate that to my team who's also probably freaking out right now? So a lot of it is taking control of myself and then getting myself in that position to help control, communicate, be able to redirect the situation or the circumstance towards a better ending. Obviously now, like I paralyzed, I can't redirect that. I can't rewind time, but I have the choice to make in my life right now on what I'm going to do with the next steps and how I'm going to direct other people to be able to move better, walk better, communicate better based on my experiences. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I actually want to come back to the next bit of your story here is you said, you know, at that point now you're paralyzed, but I know your story doesn't stop there because you're determined, as you said, and I said in your intro to walk again and not only that. So bring us back to, I think something that, again, I feel like is one of the hardest things is when you face not just the unexpected, but you face the impossible someone who's smarter than you, quote unquote, or more more qualified or has a white lab coat or whatever it is, right? Has the authority looks at you and says, 
this is what's going to happen next. And you need to either buy into it or you don't. And I feel like the world is full of exceptional human beings that never took the status quo and never believed it and said, I'm going to push against. And I know you're one of those people and you do that in organizations now, right? When, when an owner or a leader says, you know, well, this is the status quo. This is what we've been doing. This is why we can't grow. This is why, you know, this is my problem. You never let people get away with that because you are a, a walking testament that there are no excuses. Bring me back to the hospital time when you're you're coming to and you're working through, you know, I know you have initial surgeries. Tell us about that season and and what was impossible for you and what you did with it. So I have two, one really short story and one that was other a little bit longer, but it really kind of gets this point across. So my first five days in the hospital, I was in ICU. I don't remember much of it. I had so many surgeries during that time. I don't remember, but I remember this one time the hospital counselor came in and he's telling my parents, she's going to be afraid to fly. She's never going to want to fly again. We should just put her on antidepressants already. She's going to have PTSD. And I woke up from my drugged stupor and I just said, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That is the only way I could put it in there was like, flying is my passion. And you're just basically saying, stick a fork in her. Like, she's done for. And I mean, woken up and you've already decided what my limitations are. That's absurd. Right. I mean, I just, I didn't have the patience for it. I had already mentally determined that this is something I was not going to accept in my life. And I dismissed it with that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And he looked aghast and I I probably passed right back out. I don't know. It probably was one of those creepy wake up, say something, fall asleep things. But he left the room and he didn't try to do that ever again. And I soon learned (laughs) the voices that I wanted to listen to. My neurosurgeon never said I wouldn't walk again. He said I had four spinal cord tears. And I had five years to get back as much as I could. And so I took that as you got five years, you'll walk again. You're good. I had other people come in and say, oh, forget it. You're never going to walk again here. Have a wheelchair. We're going to measure you and make a specialized, personalized wheelchair. Those I decided not to necessarily listen to. I took now, what, some what of their of, words of advice. What kind of person is saying that? I don't want to throw anyone under the bus in your life. A hospital. I, I'm, oh, I'm I'll thinking... throw her under the bus every day. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, you know who's going to say we should get you fitted for a wheelchair? I'm like the wheelchair salesperson, right? Just like the dairy well, council actually, tells me how much milk I should salesman, drink. He was a spinal cord patient. Oh, um, wow. He was amazing. And so he was actually one of the most encouraging people. He was a complete spinal cord, but he had a wheelchair to go play competitive tennis and would fall out of his wheelchair and hurt his shoulder because he was playing competitive tennis and he couldn't walk. And so people like that, I did listen to. And he actually encouraged me how to use a wheelchair that I saw as a weakness and I saw as a failure as a tool. And so I do have a wheelchair now. I don't, we'll get to that other part later, but I used it as a tool versus I failed. I didn't do anything. I'm not the same. And that kind of helped redefine things that I needed to use, which, I mean, I, I use that all the time now in my rationalization of saying, is this something that is actually going to help me better reach my goal? Or is this something that I'm just, you know, putting my hands up and saying, I quit, I'm done. As soon as I think I'm putting my hands up saying I'm quit, I'm done. I go, oh, nope, not doing that one. That's so really I have mentally kind of made that decision that I'm going to walk again. Dance used to be a huge part of my 
out of work life. And I wanted to dance again. Honestly, I couldn't imagine life without it. And I started doing those little things. I did physical therapy three hours a day, every single day. I didn't take breaks. I wanted to do what I could. And even in the night when I couldn't do anything, I had to try to practice moving my leg. And I had this one doctor, my orthopedic surgeon who inherited me. And he just said, you know, you're not going to walk again. Why don't you just let me fix the last portion of you, your left leg, my left leg had been completely shattered, almost got amputated. They had tried to put it together and it wasn't going how it should. And he thought, you're not going to walk on it anyway. Why does it matter? I'm going to put a rod up the leg. It'll be completely fixed and immobile and you'll be done and you can get out of the hospital. But I said, no, I'm going to walk again. And it came in the room one day and just like, hey, how's things going? And I said, oh, good. I can move my leg. And he goes, oh, really? his face kind of cheered up a little bit. And I was like, yeah, look, he goes, okay. And I lift my leg off the bed now, like two inches, which to me was, could have been two feet miles. Yeah. And his face just kind of was like, huh? Like his little paradigm had been broken. This is not what he expected to see. No, not at all. And so then he puts his hand up and goes, okay, now kick my hand. And so of course I'm like, dude, you're going to learn. So I kick my leg up a little bit more four inches this time. And he gets this kind of glint in his eye. Like I could see the light bulb go off and he just was like, okay. He wasn't going to divulge anything verbally on like how wrong he was, but his eyes were like, whoa, okay. She's right. She is going to walk. So I had to take all the information I got from the positives and the negatives and kind of run that through my body, my filter of what actually is going on right now is it what the professionals are telling me whether it's good or bad or how am I going to deal with this and one year after the accident I walked back into work and two years later I went dancing again so oh my gosh that's it can happen I've heard you share that part I don't know how many times and it gives me goosebumps every single time there they are right there oh my gosh yeah. And I, I don't want to walk, walk past this too quickly either, realizing that, you know, here's a, you said a neurosurgeon, right? Mm-hmm. Who knows what he's doing, has been to more school than I think I have years and experience and knowledge and know-how and probably not a negative person per se, right? And like has all the reasons to know better than you do, except that he's not you. And I just feel like, man, you're such a great example of never let anyone's opinion of you define you, even someone with a valid opinion, even someone with an educated opinion, it's still their opinion. And I love that you, you're creating a paradigm shift for the person who should be giving you the paradigm shift, right? He's used to, I'm going to tell you the bad news. And you're like, listen, bud, I'm going to tell you the bad news. It's not going the way you think it is. That's outstanding. Um, so real quick, as we kind of wind down here in our last couple of questions, Joy, um, when, when I'm leading a team, a project, I'm, I'm working through something again, that's hard. Sometimes we're going to be working with what seems to be an impossible situation or someone has told us there's no way that this happens. You know, uh, we got to get the book in time. There's no way that with supply chain, blah, blah, blah. Right. What's your approach, the resilient leader approach to facing down what someone else tells you cannot happen, but doing that with tact, like how do you approach that and what can we do? So I approach that through what I like to call grounded optimism. 
which is kind of, you know, back to your whole paradigm sort of a thing. It's grounded because you're not ignoring the facts. It's having a positive outlook on life, but with a practical perspective. And so the practical part of that would be there's supply chain issues, there's logistical problems, there's, you know, a hurricane that is delaying everything. That's practical. You can't get over that. But it's still maintaining a positive outlook and then getting creative. Like, how are you going to make this work for you? I have a lot of things wrong with me. Yes, I can walk again, but both of my legs are messed up. Does that change how I do things? Yeah, it does. But it does not change my outlook on life. I can still have a positive outlook. I can still say, you know what? It's going to take me, you know, five minutes to put on my shoes now instead of the 30 seconds that it used to as I went and ran tumbling pell-mell down the stairs and out the door and I'm on time for work. But now it's taking me 10 minutes to get out the door instead. So having the grounded portion of that's life and then the optimism of being like, guys, I can walk and go down the stairs on my own. I have, I have a foot I that needs work. a shoe. That's amazing. Right? Yeah. That's outstanding. So yeah, that's really, it's story. like, so part of what you're talking about too is just going, okay, realizing with the groundedness that in your example, it's like, okay, it takes longer to do something. So that means I leave earlier and that's the end of it. Like there's not, there's not always this drama to it. Now what do we do and how do I figure it out? And like, mm-hmm. you don't, you almost, it's funny, like, um, you don't strike me as this risk taker. And I know you take risks in life and I know you've done that, but at the same time with going through what you've gone through, you also are incredibly practical in your advice and things like that, where you go, Hey, sometimes it just takes a little bit longer to do something. And then you show up and do it, but never letting go of the optimism. That's, that's so, so good. Uh, Joy, if you had one, I guess a, a, a nugget or a thought or some wisdom that you'd want to share with America's leaders, this, mm-hmm. uh, this show is listened to by leaders all over the U.S. and the world as well, but all over the U.S., coast to coast. Right now, we're post-pandemic by however far we are based on what city you're in and so forth and which news channel you watch. What do we need to know now? What's the next wave of resiliency? What do we need to be digging into and really holding on to as a resource in order to move business forward, in order to move ourselves forward as leaders? The number one thing I would say is learn to become unlimited, meaning we have limitations in our careers and our businesses and the people that we even work with, but don't make that be a limitation. Become unlimited by learning the strengths and weaknesses of yourself and your team. And then instead of going, oh, well, they have so many weaknesses or I have so many weaknesses, go, how can I strengthen that up? So that's not a limitation anymore. It's finding those weaknesses, becoming unlimited in your mindset, as well as in a very practical way, because there's ways that we can find to have something that would typically be given as a limitation and turn that back around on its head, investigate it, get a practical perspective. And then all of a sudden, now that's not a limitation anymore. So that's my biggest thing, like find ways that you can become truly unlimited in a personal corporate business sort of mindset. So you're not held back from what it is that you actually, the goal that you're trying to do. Inspiring words, truly inspiring words. And you actually talk about this and, and some of the other principles as well uh, in your memoir book. And, and I should have mentioned this earlier, but you have an incredible, your story 
we we heard snippets of it and we heard the parts of the crash and the parts of recovery, but your story in full written form is incredible to read. And you guys can get that. It's called Flying, Falling, Fighting, a Pilot's Memoir. And that's Joy's complete story memoir of the crash and the subsequent recovery after that and really becoming the resilient person that she is today and how you can too. And you can get it at joycooperpilot.com slash story joycooperpilot.com slash story why are you excited about about this memoir because i know we again we've talked about it offline quite a bit i love your story i've read the thing it's uh it's it's very inspirational why are you excited for other people to get a hold of this and read that themselves i feel like i learned a lot of my resilience from reading stories of other people who have overcome things and done amazing impossibilistic feats so by telling my story, I want people to be able to read that and go, oh, wow, like she was able to survive through insurmountable odds and she was able to do these things. And these are some practical tips and stories and ways that I was able to kind of implement that. And I want people to be able to read that and say, you know what, if a tiny little joy can do that, then I sure can. That's yes. what I love to leave with people. Oh my gosh. Look, and, and you are tiny and you are a spark hey. plug of energy. You just said it, not me. <laughs> you, you're absolutely incredible. You truly, truly are. Hey guys, when I head over here, this is the cool thing. Um, she has this as an ebook, but if you go to, so you can go to Amazon, places like that and get it, but at joycooperpilot.com slash story, it's right there available. You can read it literally on the website, 13 page memoir. So it's fast, powerful, inspirational, and I promise you, you will walk away changed. And also at the top of the page, if you want to inquire and book joy for virtual or in-person speaking at your next corporate event or to rally your team to teach your leaders resiliency, she's also available for speaking. I want to make sure I plug your speaking because it is so good. Um, you've spoken at our events and I mean, not a dry eye. People are laughing. People are crying. It's it's a really, really incredible time. So um, you can't go wrong booking Joy Cooper. Head over to joycooperpilot.com slash story. Joy, thank you so much for coming on. You are awesome. And I really appreciate uh, you stopping by the show. Yeah, no, it's great to get a chance to come on. I've heard lots of good things, so I'm not disappointed. Well, now here you are. All right, guys, that's the show for this week. My thanks again to my guest, Joy Cooper, Joy Cooper Pilot, for sharing her story and lessons about resiliency and leadership. And you can find Joy at joycooperpilot.com and on Facebook and Instagram at, shockingly, Joy Cooper Pilot. You can follow me at Matt Browning, B-R-A-U-N-I-N-G, Matt Browning at Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. I'm not really Twittering, but uh, definitely Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. You can find the podcast there. If you have a question for the show and you want me to jump in and answer your questions, do some business coaching uh, on the air for you, head over to mattbrowningpodcast.com. You can submit a question for the show and we'll even feature your business. We're going to plug your business and plug you a little bit there uh, within the question. So it's a fun win-win where we get to, uh, I get content from you and we get some exposure for your business. So mattbrowningpodcast.com for a question. And that's it for this week. We are out of time. Remember, get out there this weekend. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy life. But keep your nose down. Stay driven. And we'll see you next week with another Driven Entrepreneur. Bye-bye.